Our scripture reading for today is from the book of Exodus, chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. Now a new king arose over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, or they will increase, and in the event of war, join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built supply cities, Pithom and Ramses, for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread, so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. The Egyptians became ruthless in imposing tasks on the Israelites and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in every kind of field labor. They were ruthless in all the tasks that they imposed on them. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shiphrah and the other Puah, when you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. They did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and allowed the boys to live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dwelt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every boy that is born to the Hebrews you shall throw into the Nile, but you shall let every girl live. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine baby, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and plastered it with pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds on the bank of the river. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her attendants walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid to bring it. When she opened it, she saw the child. He was crying, and she took pity on him. This must be one of the Hebrews' children, she said. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said yes. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child and nurse it for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed it. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and she took him as her son. She named him Moses, because she said, I drew him out of the water. 
This is one of our sacred stories. Thanks. Shifra and Pua are two of our Old Testament heroes. Without their courage, the great exodus out of Egypt might never have occurred. They were midwives who dared to defy Pharaoh's orders and put their own lives at risk to save the lives of others. Shifra and Pua were two women who came of age in a time wrought with political unrest. You may remember that the Hebrew people first entered Egypt at the invitation of Pharaoh, who encouraged Joseph's brothers to settle in the best part of the land. The Pharaoh was deeply indebted to Joseph for saving his people from famine. But through time, the Pharaohs came and went, and the Hebrews multiplied, and a new Pharaoh rose to power who did not know Joseph. Somehow, by some failure of education or refusal to learn, the cultural memory had not been passed down to him. He did not see the Hebrew people as ancestors of the man who once saved Egypt. This Pharaoh saw the Hebrew people only as a threat to Egyptian existence. He said to his people, look, the Israelite people are more numerous and powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, or they will increase, and in the event of war, join our enemies against us. The new Pharaoh was an Egyptian nationalist, and we do not know if if the rest of the Egyptians saw things the way Pharaoh did, or if some of them were sympathetic to the Hebrews, they'd been living alongside peacefully for years. As far as we know, the descendants of Joseph did nothing to provoke Pharaoh's wrath, except to keep having babies, those rascals. And if I know the human race, not all of those babies were 100% Hebrew. The story of the Hebrew presence in Egypt opens with Potiphar's wife chasing after Joseph, and though she failed to catch him, Joseph later married Asenath, an Egyptian woman, and and she bore him two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. So we know from the beginning of Hebrew settlement in Egypt, there were mixed marriages and mixed babies. Perhaps there were Egyptians who, along with Pharaoh, resented this Hebrew infiltration into their land and into their lineage. Surely there were also Egyptians whose grandchildren grew up in Hebrew families, for whom Pharaoh's disdain was alarming and troubling. Throughout Jewish history, Shifra and Pua are usually regarded as Hebrew women. But the truth of the matter is that their ethnic identity is not entirely clear. The translation of verse 15 could be Hebrew midwives or midwives of the Hebrews. On the one hand, Shifra and Pua sound more like Hebrew names than Egyptian names. On the other hand, it doesn't make a lot of sense that Pharaoh would trust Hebrew midwives to kill their own kind. Some scholars think maybe Shifra and Pua were Egyptian women who converted to the Hebrew faith. I got pretty curious about the identity of Shifra and Pua. 
I wanted to know, were they Hebrew or Egyptian? I ended up reading a rather technical article by two Jewish scholars examining translations, Hebrew midwives versus midwives of the Hebrews. I won't bore you with the details, but essentially, given the absence of vowel pointing in the ancient text, the scholars discussed how the assumed vocalization seems to differ from the Masoretic text to the Septuagint, and then they went on to outline the various appearances of Shifra and Pua in Midrashic literature. Or, to summarize their findings in layman's terms, no one really knows. <laughs> Shifra and Pua could have been Hebrew or Egyptian. We can't be sure. But these two scholars argued that despite the somewhat more popular assumption that the midwives were Hebrew, there is a good reason to think they were, in fact, Egyptian women tending to Hebrew women during childbirth. Of course, either way, these women were courageous. Either way, Pharaoh was on the throne, and they were not. If they were Hebrew, they had no reason to think Pharaoh would spare their lives should he discover their disobedience. If they were Egyptian, they stuck their necks out to save people who were not their own. If they were Egyptian, that's a good indication that Pharaoh and his people didn't all think alike. Not all Egyptians thought the Hebrew babies should be killed, and some even put themselves at risk to resist Pharaoh's orders. I sort of think the ambiguity of their identity makes it easier to relate to Shifra and Pua, since our own identities vary according to the circumstances. In some instances, we are the privileged. In others, we are the disempowered. And sometimes, we are the privileged whose privilege is precarious and dependent on our ongoing complacency in the face of injustice. Shifra and Pua were in a position where they couldn't defy the Pharaoh outright and in the open, at least not if they wanted to keep saving babies. So when Pharaoh called them in for questioning, asking why they let the baby boys live, Shifra and Pua reported that the Hebrew women were not like Egyptian women. Hebrew women were more vigorous, or to translate it more literally, Hebrew women were like beasts, like animals. In other words, they delivered those babies without any help. Pharaoh seemed to accept this answer as truthful, which means the women not only defied him, they duped him too. A bit later, Pharaoh's own daughter rescued baby Moses from the river, and in this instance, there was no doubt. The Pharaoh's daughter was definitely Egyptian, not Hebrew. So even the Pharaoh's daughter did not agree with her father's genocide spree and found her own way to resist. Over and over again in the Bible, we find stories of ordinary, courageous people living in an age of tyrants, be it Pharaoh or Nebuchadnezzar or Herod or Caesar. Over and over again, the people chose to fear God rather than man. They did what was right, in the face of terrible wrong. 
I wonder what made these two little midwives think they could make a difference in the midst of massive genocide. Even if they let the babies live, wouldn't Pharaoh find the boys eventually? What power did they really have? These women understood they had the power to follow their own conscience. They couldn't dethrone Pharaoh, but they could resist him nonetheless. In recent months, the more I read ancient texts, the more modern they become. As a child, I thought Pharaoh wanting to wipe out the Hebrew boys sounded archaic and barbaric. To me, the Bible was a world far, far away. And things that happened back then don't happen anymore. But as I grew older, of course, I learned about the Holocaust and saw that even the worst parts of history repeat themselves. As a modern American, though, the Nazis also sounded archaic and barbaric to me. Evil people from a world far, far away. But then I learned about Japanese internment camps here in the U.S. And more recently, I learned about detention centers along our borders, many of which have imprisoned children for a profit. Just yesterday, I read this in the news. Quote, on August 14th, two days after the nation watched in horror as hundreds of well-armed neo-Nazis and other white supremacists held a violent rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, a 17-year-old boy in downtown Boston allegedly picked up a rock and threw it through one of the six tall glass towers that make up the New England Holocaust Memorial. Each tower is made up of 22 glass panels and engraved with thousands of numbers representing the six million Jews murdered by the Nazis during World War II. The rock reduced one of those panels to tiny glass shards strewn across the sidewalk, later swept into dustpans by city workers. A day later, an unknown person shattered the glass doors at a synagogue in Queens, New York. Just hours after the nation watched in disbelief as the President of the United States described the white supremacist in Charlottesville as fine people. Across, across the country in California on August 17th, a security camera captured another unidentified vandal throwing rocks at Temple Israel, shattering multiple windows. Since the rally in Charlottesville, the Anti-Defamation League has tracked dozens of anti-Semitic incidents across the United States. It's the sight of shattered glass at places of Jewish remembrance and worship, though, that is fraught with a terrifying poignance. On the night of November 9, 1938, and into the next day, mobs in Germany massacred nearly 100 Jews and smashed the windows of Jewish businesses and synagogues. The night became known as the Night of Broken Glass and was a preview of the Nazi effort to exterminate Jews from the earth. End quote. Friends, that's not all. In Texas, 
Our border checkpoints remain in operation this weekend, even as people attempt to escape Hurricane Harvey, meaning some immigrants have to decide whether to evacuate as advised and risk deportation or stay put and risk the life-threatening hurricane. Meanwhile, our president pardons the sheriff from Arizona who repeatedly violated human rights and broke the law to crack down on immigration. The sheriff who would make prisoners wear pink underwear and force them on public parades through the streets. The Justice Department discovered women of color in his detainment were denied basic sanitary items and were forced to remain with sheets or pants soiled from menstruation. They were put into solitary confinement for extended periods of time because of their inability to understand English. Meanwhile, the White House describes the sheriff as a selfless public servant. Meanwhile, I keep hearing white people in this country spend more time criticizing the Black Lives Matter movement and anti-racist activists than they do denouncing white supremacy, neo-Nazis, and the KKK. The truth of our times is that we belong to an era of human history in which we can stand for what is right, where we can remain silent in defense of what is so terribly, terribly wrong. The truth of our times is that whether you are Hebrew or Egyptian, Jewish or Muslim or Christian, whether you are blue or red or purple, we must come together to denounce evil, bigotry, and hate. It is as clear as can be that we are living in a time where the calling to do what is right transcends political alliances and party loyalty. It is clear that the pharaohs of this day must meet resistance in the people of God, and anywhere that doesn't happen, the church is utterly irrelevant and without purpose. The church must determine whether it wants to be written into history as the priests who sanctioned a demonic order or as the prophets who declared their allegiance to God and God alone. Prophets who stood between hate and its prey. Prophets who put their lives and careers on the line to defend and protect the other. The truth of our times is that we are being called on to re-examine our allegiances. As for me and this congregation, we will serve Christ. Amen? For we know we serve a king unlike all earthly kings. A king who will one day say to us, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. These are the sacred words of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.